This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Okay, well, welcome to our final seminar for, for GYC, I guess, final seminar sessions. And um, you are here, I'm assuming, because you are interested in health ministry. Some of you may be involved in health ministry, potentially, or maybe you have a desire to be involved in health ministry at some point in your life. So you kind of think it's important, yes? Yes. Okay. Do you know why it's important? Well, don't answer because that's what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> so let's see if, uh, if we all come up with the same answer. Or hopefully, what I'm hoping to do today is to inspire you in whatever stage of ministry you are in, in whatever stage of life you are in, that you have a very important part to play in the work of health ministry I want to start with just a few um, items that, uh, of resources that are available for you. Some of these are freely available um, because I want you to know that you are not alone in the work of health ministry. For those of you who don't know, I am the health ministries director for the North American Division, and so it's my job to get you equipped in doing health ministry. Adventists in Step for Life is an initiative that we have that promotes healthy living. Uh, Collegiate Advocates for Better Living, or CABLE, is a scholarship program for individuals in universities to actually, for students at universities to promote healthy living to their peers, to their fellow students, and we actually give you a scholarship to do that. Adventist Recovery Ministry is an addiction recovery program. It's a 12-step model uh, of addiction recovery. This is something that anybody can do at your local church. Did you know that about 50% of adults will face an addiction at some point in their life? 50%. And I'm not just talking about alcohol or tobacco, those biggies, but things like internet addiction, shopping addiction, other kinds of soft addictions, some people call them. So Adventist Recovery Ministries is there to help with that. We also have an Adventist Association of Faith Community Nursing. If anybody is heading towards a career in nursing or is already in nursing or knows people who are in the field of nursing, this is a qualified and certified nursing specialty by the ANCC. And you can actually get continuing education to become a faith community nurse. You are basically uh, equipped to, to use the basis of, faith co- of, of our faith in congregations and in your community. So this is an incredibly wonderful way to really combine what we believe to be health ministry with a professional work. Now, one of the other things that I'm hoping to do in the near future is to form an association for all health professionals because I really want to get you all connected together, working together. Some of the other things that we have, February 10th of 2018 is Health Sabbath. That means at your church, we want you to take, the, take over the, the Sabbath programming for that weekend and give it a health emphasis. On our website, we have sermons that you can use, download for free. We have activities that you could do during the weekend and so forth. And we'll be putting some more things up in the next couple of weeks. On February 25, 2018, I'm sponsoring a children's health conference at Loma Linda. That's a Sunday. We really want to do more in getting our children to be healthy. In 2019, so a year from now, more than a year from now, in January, we're having our NAD Health Summit. This is where you get trained and equipped to do a lot of different health ministry work. So put that on your calendar. In September 2019, a year and a half or more from now, we have a focus on women's health. This is only for women, this program. It's, it's a women's uh, convention, and we're going to be focusing on health. We have an email newsletter 
And that's the best way to get up-to-date information of resources that are available. If you send me an email at health at nadadventist.org, I'll, I'll put you on our email newsletter list so that you can get that information. We have a Health Ministries magazine coming up. We are working on a mental health program, a grief recovery program. Did you know that grief is part of health ministry? Yes, it is. We have a pornography addiction recovery program that we're developing. Um, we also have a lot of free stuff on our website, and we have online trainings that we're developing. This is our website, nadhealthministries.org. And again, you, if you email us at health at nadadventist.org, we can answer any questions you may have. Okay, so let's get into our topic for today. Why do we need a right arm? Well, I'm going to guess that none of you will say that you would voluntarily chop off your right arm. Right? But is it unfortunately the case that sometimes in our church work, we neglect the right arm? I want to step back from this conversation a little bit to start off and to frame the reason why we all are here. And I don't mean just here at GYC, but why are we existing? Why is the Seventh-day Adventist Church in existence? We are living in what is called the time of the end. How do we know that? I heard it. Prophecies, signs. Right? We have seen prophecies fulfilled, signs fulfilled, that have pointed us to this place where we are in, where we know that we are living in the time of the end. And this is a question that the disciples asked Christ, didn't they? If you turn to Matthew 24, by the way, I hope one of the most important things you will learn today, if you don't already know this, is that health ministry, true health ministry, is found in the Bible, in the Word of God. So in Matthew 24 and verse 3, we see that, that Christ is at the Mount of Olives, sitting there, and his disciples come to him privately, and they ask him a question. They say, tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be, what? the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. Are we all interested about when the world is going to end? What is, what's going to bring in the end of the world? When are we going to see Jesus, right? Is the world interested in this as well? Now, they're not necessarily looking for Jesus, but they see that things are happening and it seems like we're going to self-destruct or destroy each other. Something is going to happen. And so this is a question that, that humanity has been asking for a long time. So Christ then goes into this very long telling about some signs to look for. And we're all familiar with this. But there's, there's a really interesting point that I want to make about the next couple of chapters of Christ's uh, telling. We see... In Matthew 24, from verses 4 through 39, Christ talks about the different signs pointing to his second coming. But he doesn't stop there. And this is a really important point. He doesn't stop there. Picking up in verse 40 of Matthew 24 and going all the way through verse 46 of chapter 25, he speaks about the signs of those for whom he is coming. So the signs foretelling his coming take up about 35 verses, and the signs telling about for whom he is coming take up 58 verses. Is he emphasizing one more than the other, perhaps? Is he putting a little bit more attention to one part of this story than the other? Now, is it important that we talk about the signs? Absolutely. But I wonder if it's more important that we talk about the who. Let's look at this from another perspective here. These are all the verses in those two, and I'm just loosely categorizing them this way, by the way, you know, for, for the sake of our study. 
So Matthew 4, 4, 24, 4 through 39 on one side, and the other part of it takes about, what, a third more verses? So even from a pictorial standpoint, you can tell that Christ is emphasizing one side over the other. But when we look at also about his foretelling about the signs, he puts in, even in the midst of those verses, a focus for us. In verse 24, uh, in verse 9 of chapter 24, he says, they will deliver you to be tormented. In verse 13, they that endure will be saved. Verse 20, pray your flight is not on Sabbath. Verse 22, tribulation will be shortened. Why? For the sake of the elect. Verse 31, the elect will be gathered. You see, Christ's primary concern is always the people. His focus is always pointing to the people that he loves. He's not as much concerned about all of the signs being fulfilled, although that is very important. That's why he told us about the signs. But he gives us the signs so that he can point us to his true concern, which is us. He, in Luke 21, which recounts the same story, Christ says this in verse 28, And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh. Again, the focus is, I'm telling you this because I want you to be ready. I'm not just telling you this because I know. I'm telling you because I want you to be ready. And then that larger portion of the text, he gives us counsel of how to be ready. And this is the key point here. What is the counsel to us? In Matthew 24, verses 40 through 44, he says, well, life is going to continue on as usual, but don't let that deceive you. Don't th let that get you into a complacent state. I want you to watch, therefore, and be ready. And then in verses 45 through 51, he talks about the foolish and the wise virgins, servants, excuse me. And he says, the lesson here is don't get tired of waiting. Don't get distracted or complacent. And I like this one, don't attack one another. Do we sometimes see that happening? Maybe even our, in our own church? He says, don't attack one another. And he says to you, be about your father's business. Don't get complacent. Don't just start fighting one another. Do the work that God has given you to do. In verses 1 through 13 of Matthew 25, now he talks about the ten virgins. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning. Plead for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You've got to have the Holy Spirit in measure. He says, don't neglect this. In verses 14 through 30, the talents, very important. Every single one of us, every single one of us has been given at least one talent. And he says, you've got to use it or you're going to lose it. And he says this very seriously. And he says, don't worry about what you don't have because you know what? God does the multiplying. Just do what I've given you to do. And God will take care of everything else. And then, to close out this, this portion, in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, he gets very sober. And he talks about the last judgment. And I really like, in verses 35 and 36, this is what ties into our topic today about health ministry. He says this, This is how, I, I'm, how you will be judged. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes 
and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. What are these? What? These are gifts of, these are gifts of kindness, right? What talent do you need? What talent do you need to do any of these? Hospitality, okay. But can you do it even if you didn't have the gift of hospitality? You could, couldn't you? The righteous did works of mercy, kindness, compassion, and healing. And this entered into the judgment process. And it's so interesting because none of them realized the impact of their work. They were just doing it because it was the right thing to do. So, as we talk about medical missionary work, by the way, I use the terms medical missionary work and health ministry interchangeably, um, so I'll go back and forth probably. So we need to ask some important questions about this. And unfortunately, we're not going to be able to answer all these questions today because we don't have that much time. We're going to talk a little bit about what is medical missionary work, what is health ministry, why should we do it? That's where really we're going to spend the bulk of our time. Where and when? I'll answer that now. Here and now. It's that simple. Everywhere, all the time. Okay? We don't need to argue about those two questions. Now, who should do it? We're not going to get into this. We're going to give you the quick answer on this one about who should do medical missionary work, but there's a lot of details that we're not going to touch on today about who should do what and for whom should we be doing all of this or some of it or none of it or, you know. So we're not going to get into those details today. We're also not going to touch on what really should be done or how should it be done. Again, please check out our website. Um, contact me through email, come to our health summit. We address those things in those other avenues. So we're going to focus on what is medical missionary work and why do it. Now even the what, I'm, I'm going to give you the very brief, brief answer. And in order to do so, we're going to talk about what is health. How is health defined? Well, health or wellness is defined by the World Health Organization in this way. They say, that it is a state of complete, look at the, the categories they give here, physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. Usually when somebody says, oh, I don't feel well, that means they're sick, right? But they're saying it's not necessarily whether you're sick or not. It's more than just that. University of California, Davis, they, de they define it in this way. They say that wellness is an active process. Do you get that? An active process of becoming aware of and making choices toward a healthy and fulfilling life. If you don't have the ability to make a choice for health or wellness, they're saying then you're not really well if you don't have the ability to make a choice. Now, in order to make a choice, you need to know what the options are, you need to know which one's better or worse, and you need to have the ability to actually implement that choice, right? The National Wellness Institute also says this, that it is a conscious, self-directed, and evolving process <coughs> of achieving full potential. Don't let the word evolving uh, you throw you off. We're, I'm not talking about evolution. I'm talking about growth. Okay. A process of achieving full potential. Now here, I wish I could have spend time talking about what is the full potential of, hum of humanity as God created us to have in the Garden of Eden, but we don't have time for that. But Remember that wellness and truly being healthy is being able to achieve your full potential, your full God-given potential. Now, Adventist Health Ministries, the General Conference Health Ministries Department, they, they have four foundational principles for health ministry. 
And these are taken directly from their website, which is healthministries.com. And you can go there and read them. I'm just going to um, point them out. The four foundational principles of health ministry are inspiration, meaning the Word of God and the writings of the Spirit of Prophecy of Ellen White. Evidence, this is important, because this is where a lot of times people get hung up with health ministry. Evidence is really important for it to be true health ministry, because we, under op we operate under the conviction that God is the author of all true science. And true science must come into the work that we are doing. In fact, this is a quote from Councils on Health, page 401, that Ellen White wrote regarding one of the health sanitariums of that day. She says this, God did not intend that this institution should be carried on after the order of any other health institute in the land, but that it should be one of the most effectual instrumentalities in his hands of doing what? giving light to the world. She says it should stand forth with what? Scientific ability, with moral and spiritual power, and as a faithful sentinel of reform in all its bearings. So science and spiritual come together. They must. So if we're violating either one of those, it's not true health ministry. Back to the four foundational principles, evidence, inspiration, the other two, balance, really important, and relationships, also very important. We are learning more and more about how healthy relationships are a huge factor in health, huge factor. This is also what they say, we believe in a ministry of healing by which we can be restored to wholeness. And our concept of whole involves the whole person, which means we're talking about spiritual health, physical health, mental health, and social health. What are the four? Spiritual, physical, mental, and social health. Okay, there are four components to, to what makes us. And so we've got to take care of all four of those. We emphasize prevention of disease, and we also allow for treatment of disease for those who, are, who have disease processes using proven, scientifically validated methods. Okay? Now, it's interesting because if you do a, a Google search, you know, Google knows everything, Dr. Google. I, I would debate him or her on a lot of things, but if you, he, he has some interesting tidbits. If you Google wellness, you will find that some people find that there are six dimensions of wellness. And very quickly, they say emotional, occupational, physical, social, intellectual, and spiritual. Okay, this is from the National Wellness Institute. Now, UC Riverside, University of California Riverside, close to some, where some of us may have lived if you were ever in Loma Linda, they have seven dimensions of wellness. So they include all of those, and then they add in environmental factors. Okay? And then SAMHSA, which is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration, part of the US federal government, um, they have eight dimensions of wellness. They add all of those, and then they add in also financial wellness. Interesting. Why I'm sharing this with you because I want you to broaden your thinking of what health ministry is. You see, we have a pretty narrow view of what health ministry is. When you hear health ministry, what is the first thing you think of? Food. Yes, exactly. Food. And, and too often, too often what, what happens in our churches is that we have food fights, don't we? We have food fights. By the way, I am a former cheese sniffer. Like, I was the one at church who could sniff out the cheese and could tell people if it was vegan or not at potluck, okay? I've, I've confessed my faults. <laughs> 
you know, we get so caught up in things like that that we lose sight of the depth and the breadth of what God is trying to do for us. Food is vitally important. I am also a dietitian, a registered dietitian, so I know the importance of food in health. But it's not the only thing. We have so much more that we should be doing to promote health and healing of body and soul. So this leads us back to our question now. Why health ministry? We looked at God is, Christ has given us signs of his coming, but he has also given us, even more importantly, the information about who he's coming for, what he's looking for in the people that he's coming to get. We've looked at what, what is the, the broadness of health ministry, but we still come back to the question of why should we do health ministry? Well, we might end with this one, one um, phrase here, this one sentence here, from Testimonies for the Church, volume 7, page 62. This was written in 19, well, it was published in 1902, so Mrs. White wrote this in 1901, 1902, that time period. She says this, We have come to a time when every member of the church should take hold of medical missionary work. Okay, we're done. I mean, isn't that enough? Does that answer the question why? Well, she told us to do it. This also answers the question of who, doesn't it? Who should be doing medical missionary work? Every member should take hold of it. But let's, let's study this a little bit more. She goes on to say, the world is a Lazar house, meaning it's a sick house. Basically, everybody in this house is sick. So if you live in the world, you're sick. True? Absolutely. Every single one of us has some illness of it of, or another. The world is a Lazar house filled with victims of both physical and spiritual disease. Everywhere, people are perishing for lack of a knowledge of the truths that have been committed to who? To Seventh-day Adventists. Don't let that frighten you. Don't let that puff you up. Don't let that make you feel ashamed. But realize that God has given you a great calling by giving you light that others do not have. She goes on, the members of the church, who again? Members of the church. Remember, Christ was focusing on who? On his people, right? And she's saying the same thing. The members of the church are in need of an awakening that they may realize their responsibility to impart these truths. Those who have been enlightened by the truth are to be light bearers to the, excuse me, to the world. To hide our light at this time is to make a terrible mistake. Now remember, this is the same part of the same passage where she says every member should take hold of medical missionary work. So she is linking medical missionary work with imparting light. Don't let that pass you by. And then she says this. The message to God's people today is, have you been hearing this phrase a little bit the past couple of days? Does it sound familiar now? Have you memorized it? Arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. I did not tell GYC to pick this theme, but apparently God had a plan. This is the exact same passage where she says every member of the church should take hold of medical missionary work. Exact same passage. Please write down these, ver these passages, the references, take a picture of it, and go read the entire chapter. I really encourage you to do that. And then she goes on to say, before the true reformer, the medical missionary work will open many doors. Okay, now let's get into this a little bit more deeply. I really want to push this message home. This is so vitally important for us. 
why work? Again, we talked about why we're supposed to be doing, why we're supposed to be shining as lights to the world. That Christ is coming for people who are prepared to meet him. And, and medical missionary work is an important part of that work. But let, let, let's look at this a little bit more closely. Why do we do work at all? Why do we do work at all? Okay, I have to go back to what God told us to. Okay? In Matthew 28, before Christ left the earth, he gave the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. He says, go ye therefore, right, into all the world. He, we find that same, um, same thing repeated in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 where the disciples, again, are asking him questions. By the way, it's okay to ask questions if you're sincerely seeking truth. So they ask him a question, are you going to restore the kingdom now? And Christ says to them, don't worry about the time. Don't worry about when. And he says to them, be my witnesses. That's all you've got to do. You do the work that I have given you to do and let me take care of everything else. And in fact, he even says this in John 20, verse 21. He says, as my Father has sent me, so send I you. So this is why we exist. One of the reasons why we exist is so that we can be doing the work that Christ has given us to do. And we've got to take hold of this. Let's look at how Christ did his work. If we are to be working as he, God sent Christ to do a work, and Christ is sending us to do the same work, well, what was the work he did? In Matthew 4.23, it says this, Jesus went about all Galilee doing what? Teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Preaching, teaching, and healing. So if we are to do the work that Christ has given us to do, then we should be doing what? Preaching, teaching, and healing. But you know, there's a very interesting commentary that Ellen White gives about this. In the Gospel Herald, May 1st, 1908, she says this, The Lord Jesus is our example. We have established that, haven't we? He went from city to city, from village to village, teaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing. So she's referring to teaching and healing. And then she says, Christ spent more time in doing what? In healing than in teaching. Okay, when Christ does more time, puts more effort into one thing over the other, does that mean that one is more important than the other? Or just that he has a reason why he wants to emphasize one over the other? Both are equally important, but he's giving us an example to emphasize the healing ministry. Okay? And my friends who are teachers, I come from a family of teachers. I love them. <laughs> they, they still love me too. Um, but it's, it's just, we're, we're just studying here Christ's example, okay? We're not, we're not saying one is more important or more viable or more, more valuable than the other. We're just studying Christ's example. So Christ spent more time healing than in teaching. Now, in Review and Herald, February 1st, 1898, Ellen White says this, The Savior of the world devoted more time and labor to healing the sick than to what? Preaching. What were the three things Christ did? Preaching, teaching, and healing. Did he spend more time in healing than in teaching? Did he spend more time in healing than in preaching? Okay, going on in the same passage, his last injunction to his apostles, his representatives on earth, meaning it's relevant to us as well, was to lay hands on the sick that they might recover. 
And then she goes on to say this, And when the master shall come again, he will commend those who have done what? Visited the sick and relieved the necessities of the afflicted. By the way, do you need a medical degree to visit the sick? You need a medical degree to do a lot of things. And if you don't have a medical degree, don't do some of those things. Okay? But you don't need to be professionally trained to be involved in the healing ministry. Just know your role. And know those who are professionally trained so you can get the help to those people that they really need. Okay? Evangelism, page 513. We have quite a few um, passages here from the book Evangelism I'm going to share with you. Nothing will open doors for the truth like evangelistic medical missionary work. This is why Christ emphasized so much time and effort into the healing work. Because nothing will open doors for truth like the medical missionary work. This will find access to hearts and minds and will be a means of converting many to the truth. Do you need access to hearts and minds in order for them to accept the truth? Yes. And the health ministry work does that. Going on, evangelism page 513. Medical missionary work is the right helping hand of the gospel to open doors for the proclamation of the message. Is it the right withered arm of the gospel? Is it the right weak arm of the gospel? Is it the right fighting arm of the gospel? It's the right helping arm. At least that's what it's supposed to be. Many, listen, oh, this is, this is, this is precious. This passage is precious. Why do some people reject the gospel? Some people. Many are disgusted with the dry formalism which exists in the Christian world. Anybody seen any dry formalism in a, in a church anywhere? Not your church, I'm sure. Many are becoming infidels because they see the lack of what? True piety in those who profess to be Christians. Lord, have mercy on us. We are chasing people away from the truth because of a lack of true piety. But, but see, there's hope. There's hope because she goes on to say this. A good work could be done to prepare the way for the introduction of the truth if decided testimonies were born on what? the health and temperance branch of the work. You see, this is why health ministry is so important. You see, people are, are running away from the truth because they don't see it in our own lives. We're not living the truth all the time. And they're running away. And they're looking for a reason to stay. And as we proclaim the messages of the health and temperance work, we are opening that door to their heart. It's vitally important that we get this. Going on again in evangelism, me medical missionary work is the right hand of the gospel. It is what? Optional? It is something you could potentially maybe think about doing sometime in the future? No, it is necessary to the advancement of the cause of God. If something is necessary, what does that mean? Essential. Essential. It means if you leave it out, it's not going to work. It's necessary. Every city, we, yesterday we had presentations on city missions. They were fantastic. Please go listen to them if you weren't here. Listen to them um, once they upload the messages. Every city is to be entered by workers trained, again, I like that word, trained to do medical missionary work as the right hand of the what? The third angel's message. God's methods of treating disease will open doors for the entrance of present truth. Present truth. 
Councils to the Church, page 308. The Divine Commission, we looked, we started with the Divine Commission, right? Go ye therefore. The Divine Commission needs no reform. It's perfect the way it is. Christ's way of presenting truth cannot be improved on. We cannot come up with fantastic new ways of telling his truths that he has not given us already. The Savior gave the disciples practical lessons, teaching them how to work in such a way as to make souls glad in the truth. And then look, look at how he did it. Look at this. He sympathized with the weary, the heavy laden, the oppressed. He fed the hungry and healed the sick. Constantly he went about doing good, and by the good he accomplished, by his loving words and kindly deeds, look at this, by all those things, he interpreted the gospel to them. You see, people are so, so blocked in their minds from understanding the gospel that they need an interpretation of the gospel. And Christ did that through the healing ministry. Are you seeing more and more why the medical missionary, why the health ministry work is integral and necessary for the spread of the gospel? Amen. So let's summarize that very quickly as I have two minutes to go over 30 slides. Okay. Christ spent more time healing than in preaching or teaching. Evangelistic medical missionary work will open doors, will be a means of conversion, is the right helping hand of the gospel, will open closed doors. Health work prepares the way for truth to be introduced to those who reject it. Health work is necessary for the advancement of the work of the gospel. Every should be, city should be worked with medical missionary work. Workers should be trained and Christ's good work provide an interpretation of the gospel. And if, we are his ex if he was our example, then that same work will do the work for us too. In fact, listen to this. Counsels to the church again. Christ's work in behalf of man is not finished. It continues today. In like manner, in what manner? In like manner, what was Christ's method? Preaching teaching and healing, okay, all three combined. In like manner, his ambassadors, anybody here an ambassador? His ambassadors are to preach the gospel and to reveal his pitying love for lost and perishing souls. By an unselfish interest in those who need help, they are to give a what? Practical demonstration of the truth of the gospel. What did Christ give as he was doing these works of benevolence? He was giving them a interpretation of the gospel. What is it that we achieve? We give a practical demonstration of the gospel. They, we, Christ's ambassadors are to be co-laborers with Christ, revealing to those ready to perish his tender, pitying love. Work with a heart filled with an earnest longing for souls. And then she says this, do medical missionary work. It's an imperative, isn't it? Do it. Just do it. Do medical missionary work. Thus you will gain access to the hearts of people and the way will be prepared for a more decided proclamation of the truth. The end goal of medical missionary work is not medical missionary work. It's not health ministry. The end goal is to prepare for the proclamation of the more decided truths, the more testing truths. But the objective is that through doing these works of healing, of touching people's lives, of coming close to them, of ministering to their needs, we are revealing Christ's love. And as, as we do that, 
Christ fills us with more and more of his love. And he transforms us. And he prepares us to become inheritors of his kingdom. Now, I think we have 15 minutes more, don't we? Okay, good. Got mixed up on the time. Good, because I have more I want to share with you. So the end goal is to prepare for the truths to reach these hearts. And our objective in health ministry is to reveal God's love. Are you revealing God's love when you're fighting each other over cheese? Are you revealing God's love when you are fighting over cheese? Okay, I'll let you answer that for yourselves. <laughs> There's so much more that we could be doing, but we're so busy bickering with each other that we're not allowing God the opportunity to work through us. So, why is good health so important? Why, again, why are we doing medical missionary work? We're preparing their, them to receive the gospel. But it's also important that we realize it's transforming us as we do this work. But why is good health so important? I mean, isn't it just good enough if they accept the gospel and we get them baptized and whether they are healthy or not? Is it really that important? Okay, good. You're saying yes. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I, I don't have this quote on here, but Mrs. White does say that um, someone who is in good health is a much better testimony than someone who is in poor health. Now, that doesn't mean if, you're, if you have an illness, that doesn't mean you cannot be a witness. But whatever we can do to promote better health gives us better and more opportunities to be a better witness. By the way, if you had, you know, you lost a ton of weight or you, you were able to recover from diabetes or, you know, you had a stroke and then you were able to come back to, to a really good state of health and your coworkers or your family members are like, what happened? What did you do? Isn't that opening a door for you to minister to them? So don't let whatever state of health you may be in Always ask God, is there more that you can do for me? Because I want to be a better testimony for you. So let's look at this a little bit more. Why, why is good health important? Evangelism, again, I think we already read this. Doors that have been closed to him who merely preaches the gospel will be open to the intelligent medical missionary. Intelligent, remember that. There's some qualifiers here, okay? Intelligent medical missionary. God reaches hearts through the relief of physical suffering. When someone experiences better health from themselves, they are wide open to more. And this is proven. In fact, let's see, I'll come to it in the next slide, I think. I hope everybody's familiar with this passage from Ministry of Healing, page 143. Christ's method alone will give what? True success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs. Nice stepwise process. But this is, this is the reason why. He won their confidence. And then he could say, follow me, and they were ready to do it. Winning confidence, winning the confidence of people is vitally, vitally important. And we've got to do it in, with a lot of sincerity and not with hidden agendas. Okay, I, I'm actually very open with my hidden agendas. 
my, my hidden agendas are for you to be healthy and to choose Jesus, okay? I'm, I'm just very open with that. So we, we are not here to try and, you know, trick people into the kingdom, okay? We've got to win their confidence. You know, as soon as somebody finds out that you've lied to them or that you were using some false, you had some false or some other agendas, are they going to have confidence in you? What is another word for confidence? Trust. Absolutely. Did you know that trust does something in your brain? The act of trusting actually does something in your brain. In fact, trust works in your prefrontal cortex. If you have not heard about your prefrontal cortex, please become friends with it. Because that is the part of your brain right here, in the front of your brain. This is where you make judgment. This is where you make decisions. And if this part of your brain is not very healthy or very strong, you're going to make some pretty bad decisions. And trust works in the same place. The same place where you do planning of complex cognitive behavior. It's where you have personality expression, decision making. You moderate your social behavior. Those are important things to be able to do. And trust works in that same part of the brain. Now distrust works in the amygdala, which is in the back of your brain. And this is where your emotions work. And this is where you get your survival instincts, fight or flight. So if trust is working on where you make logical, thoughtful decisions, and distrust is where, working where your emotions are, which one do you really want to be in control? <laughs> By the way, both logic and emotions are important, but we cannot allow emotions which are very fleeting and can change from, you know, one minute to 10 minutes later, especially if you're a teenager. You know, we, we can't allow our emotions to drive our decision making. But our emotions can certainly, when sanctified by God, can come in to help and, and improve the, the sense of what we are doing. So trust, winning confidence, potentially could impact how a person makes their decision. This is why I'm sharing this. If you gain trust from people, they are working this part of the brain. Their prefrontal cortex is firing up and is saying, woo, all right, I've got logical decision making now. And that is where they make decisions for Christ. In fact, going on, this, it says this too. Strong bonds of trust. When you form a strong, trusting relationship with someone, it actually produces hormones. These are happy hormones in your brain that when these happen, and that prefrontal cortex is working, this is what can happen. It can actually influence us to work out issues and challenges. Woo boy. When you distrust someone, is it easier to have an argument with them? I know you're thinking of somebody right now. <laughs> you just, I just cannot trust that person and I'm just not gonna talk to them because they're gonna, you know? But when we learn to have a trusting relationship with someone, we are all of a sudden willing to work things out with them. So think about this when you're giving a Bible study. Think about this when you're preaching the gospel. And that person who you're, you're sharing with learns to trust you, but they've got all these questions and they don't agree with you, but they're willing to talk it out. They're not shutting down on you. They're also open to new experiences. A Sabbath. You mean I've, I can't watch TV, I can't go shopping, I can't do this and that? Well, okay, I mean, you're a nice person. You haven't led me wrong so far. 
I'll try it out. Okay? Is this making sense? And I love this. They're willing to link with others in creative partnerships. This should be what a church should be doing. Linking together for creative partnerships. And when others are trusting us and they're trusting the church family that we're bringing them into, they're willing to join in. Winning confidence is an effect, is a product of health ministry, true health ministry. And as we win the confidence because we've been able to bring healing to their physical body, or their emotional body, their emotional needs. As we do that, we are now opening up the way for their brain to make these logical changes and to accept the truths that we are sharing with them. Um, this is really, I have to share this because I worked in Guam for a couple of years and Tina is currently working in Guam. And I have some other friends here who have worked in Guam as well. So this is really important because this research study that was published just a few years ago in Eat Right, that's the Dietetics Association Journal. Um, it's formative research to inform nutrition interventions in Chuuk and the, and the US Pacific. Chuuk is one of the islands over there by Guam. And the research that they were looking at is what is it that influence, influences people to maintain healthy behaviors? They were looking specifically at nutrition, but what is it that keeps people going with the healthy behaviors? This is important discussion topic. The behaviors that influence adherence, sticking with their healthy behaviors, Preparing and consuming meals with extended family and the church. Hello, potluck. Potluck. I don't know. I'm, potlucks could use some help. But some potlucks could use some help. Cooking classes. You know, dinner with the doctor, whatever you want to do. Learning how to prepare a meal with your church family. Patient and group motivation, finding a group of people to support each other. Access to healthy foods, the church, you know, food pantries or um, shopping sprees or gift cards, you know, find ways to give people who don't have access to health, healthy food, give them that access. And then I like this, holistic view of health focused on motivation with what? Spiritual and emotional support. The science is showing us that spiritual support, emotional support are vitally important in keeping people healthy. And I like this quote that one of the study participants shared. She says this, like many of you, I know that I need to eat healthy foods. Okay, she has knowledge. I know there are many reasons why I can't do that. She's aware of her, her limitations in herself. But at the core is my own attitude and mentality. I know it's, it's just in here. It's in that frontal lobe. I also need the support of my family and my church. I need to build some trusting relationships. And she says this, I need all kinds of support. I need your prayers to change my way of thinking at frontal lobe. I need your words of encouragement to get me through. I wish my church can dedicate a time just to pray for strength, courage, and resources. Prayer is a part of health ministry, a vital part of it. I'm going to stop here because we're out of time. We started by looking at why it is important that we as a church should be engaged in, in ministry. It's because God has called us. He has given us signs of the end of the world, of his soon coming. But he has told us, I'm more interested in you. I'm so much more interested in you. And I want you to be prepared. And we have seen 
that as we work as Christ worked, as we're preaching, teaching, and healing, that we are coming close to people. We are building confidence. We are developing trusting relationships with them. And you know what? In that process, God is transforming us. When I was working in Guam, I worked very long days counseling patients. And there were days, I will be honest, there were days where I would say, Lord, please just let them all cancel. I'm just too exhausted. I can't do this anymore. Please let them all just cancel. But, and sometimes some of them would. <laughs> Hopefully not because they didn't like me. It's just they didn't like talking to a dietitian. But I remember those days, and I remember one patient in particular who came in late, like 30, 45 minutes late. At the end of the day, I was exhausted. I had a full day of patience, and I was ready to go. And he walks in, and my assistant says, he's here. Do you want to see him? And I say, no, but I have to. And I'm just screaming inside. I'm like, Lord, why in the world? Don't you know how tired I am? Well, I sat there, and I had good long 30 minutes with my patients as I was counseling him and talking to him, and he was just sitting there and sitting there and sitting there. And I was like, why did you even come? And you know, as, as I was, I gave him a few things, his homework to do, and then I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll, let's get, before you leave, schedule your next appointment. And then as he was getting up to leave, I, I hesitated to do this. But 98% of the time, I said to my patients, can I pray for you before you go? And I didn't want to pray for him. I was so tired. I was so exhausted. I, I did not want to pray for him. But as he was about to reach for the doorknob, I said, can I pray for you before you go? And he just froze. He didn't know what to say. <laughs> He's like, uh, OK. So I bowed my heads and I, you know, quickly went through a prayer. And, and in my prayers, I always made it a point to thank God for the recovery that was going to happen. Because I wanted them to know that God was going to be the one doing it for them. I opened my eyes and this man was standing there with his hands covering his face, weeping, broken. And as I saw that, I realized why I needed to be there that day. Why, though it was so late and I was exhausted and I myself was tired and in need. But God said, I need you to do one more because somebody is in greater need. And that transformed me that day. Even though I had many other tiring days after that, I always said, God, if there's one more, let me know. Keep me here. Bring them in. You see, the most important thing that happens as we do health ministry is that we see lives transformed, but not by our own power, but by the power of God. And we are transformed because of that. And when we are transformed, then Christ's prophecy of who he is coming for will be fulfilled. And he will come to take us home. Let me pray with you before we go. Father in heaven, Lord, Lord, we don't know why you, you choose to use people like us. Lord, we're broken, we're hurting, we're sick of something. Maybe we're sick of ourselves. But Lord, you have called us to do the work that Christ left for us to do, and we want to. So I pray, Father, that every single person here will find your specific calling for them, your specific role for them in the work of ministry. And Lord, that as they go forth, that they will bring healing and hope and wholeness to a world that is in need. And Father, in the process, we will touch them with your truth, with your present truth, 
and we will see our own lives transformed. We thank you, Lord, because we know you will do this, and we look forward to rejoicing with you in the work that you have done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.